Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. You are listening to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've got the game, the names, and the insight you need to stay covered on all the courts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TC Live Podcast, available on the Tennis Podcast Network and streaming on all of your podcast platforms. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and as always, thank you for listening. We start this week's show with an interview with the reigning Australian Open champion and world number four, Sophia Kennan. The American reached the greatest height of her young career this past January in Melbourne, claiming her maiden Grand Slam title at the tender age of 21. She joined Chanda Rubin and Brett Haber on TC Live to discuss how she's handling the tour break, getting prepared to play in the upcoming exhibition in Charleston, and to relive those memories of a lifetime down under. It's the TC Live podcast with Sophia Kennan. Australian Open champion Sophia Kennan, it's great to see you. Uh, tell us how your family has been doing, how you've been doing, and how you've been getting through this crazy time. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, nice memory to show uh, to show me from Australia. Um, yeah, we're doing good with my family. Just, um, um, just you know, taking it easy with this whole virus. You know, just staying together, and um, we're doing good. We're trying to, you know, wait once this virus. Finally, it's going to get better, and then we can finally start competing again. Well, everybody, Sophia, has been trying to do different things during this time. You know, with you and your team, how has your training and your routine evolved during the last few months? Um, well, I'm with my dad. I'm doing, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, fully train, you know, with this whole virus. But I'm trying to, you know, practice, have, like, we have this uh, private place where we're practicing, and um you know, trying to do fitness. So um, I'm trying to do the best I can to keep staying um, healthy, which is number one, and keeping myself fit and ready for um, whenever the tournaments happen. And that's, a, as you can see in that video, that's where I'm practicing at <laughs> that private court. So getting my workout in. Yeah, pretty nice view there in the back as well. Um, yeah. You are the champion. You're the champion of the only Grand Slam that's been played thus far this year. You had been making steady progress up the ranks, but what came together during those two weeks in Australia? Um, honestly, I just feel like I, every match, I just took it easy. Um, I try not to overthink it, and, um, you know, I had a good practice. I knew what I needed to do to work on for the next matches, and, you know, it was my practice was intense, but, you know, it was fun. It was with quality, and game day it was you know, my secret routine that I had because I'm quite superstitious. And then, um, and then, yeah, it was match day. And then we, you know, I, and then my dad was there in the stands helping me. And um, yeah, I just, I got the job done. Obviously I did, I did pretty good. Can't complain about that. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask you about the final, the championship match. You lost the first set. I mean, you had all of the odds against you. You had never been in this situation before how did you find what you needed in that moment to turn things around and hold up the trophy 
Um, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed losing the first set, but I just told myself uh, to keep playing and not give up. I'm playing against Garbine, who's a two-time Grand Slam champion, and I knew that she's going to come out, you know, playing her best tennis, and I knew I needed to really, you know, come up with some real clutch shots and bring my game to the next level if I wanted to take the title, and um, I just felt a few times the momentum changed from my, on my side, and I just took advantage of it, and I was kind of riding as long as I possibly can, and I told myself I don't want to, you know, not uh, win the title. I want to hold that beautiful Japanese trophy. So I just told myself to keep fighting for it because she's not going to give it to me, Garbine. And um, yeah, I, I did whatever I had to do to take it. And uh, all due respect to her, she played a great match and it was a great final. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed the final as much as we both did. Nobody enjoyed the final as much as you did, I have a feeling. But uh, as we're joined yeah, by Sophia, <laughs> Sophia Kennan, the Australian Open champion, youngest American Slam winner since 2002 when Serena was that young. Uh, just before we continue with serious questions, I don't want anybody in the audience to think you have a really bad case of the hiccups. You have, you have a bird in your kitchen? Yeah, yeah, I have a bird in the kitchen, yes. Okay, do you want to show us the bird, or is it too complicated? <laughs> no, okay. not sure. <laughs> not sure. Fine. Do we know what kind of bird it is, Sophia? Because I feel like we should um, do some ornithology here. My dad, let's just... Uh, hi, Dad. <laughs> hi, nice to see you. That's Alex. Just say Good hi, to, thank you. Hi, hi, Papa. Yeah, I'm just trying to... I thought that it's, it's a long walk to the... Oh, there it is. What's his name? Uh, it's Rosha, and it's an African gray. An, Af an African gray. <laughs> oh, well, since we learned, we learned a little something today. Uh, as you reset in the kitchen there, Sophia, I will uh, ask you, how, how's your life changed the most since becoming a major champ? Um, it just uh, changed from my confidence, but other than that, nothing much drastically hasn't changed. I'm still playing. I'm still trying to do, you know, what I can to keep, you know, playing better when, once the tournaments happen. And, um, yeah, I guess you can treat yourself a little bit to some Cartier after you get the Australian Open title. But um, other than that, I'm just trying to keep focused on myself. I still have a lot of tennis to play and hopefully a lot of great more memories to make. Well, as we've been going through Roland Garros 2019, you had a big breakthrough uh, last year, the upset of Serena Williams. You know, what... What changed, what shifted with that win that helped you get to the moment this year? Um, well, first of all, you know, playing Serena was, she's an idol to me and it was, I had butterflies stepping on the court against her and it was, I mean, I was pretty emotional a little bit during the match and after, but um, yeah, I just felt that uh, everything just changed for me. I felt like, you know, just, it really gave me a boost of confidence and I started, you know, playing much better towards the end of last year and I, you know, started playing I mean, I can't come playing. I started off the year really good with the uh, Open, uh, Open champion. So um, it just gave me a lot of confidence and boost. And I just got, you know, I climbed up the rankings and I just felt that I belonged there, which I always knew I did. And it just really started to show. Uh, Sophia, fans are really excited to see you in a couple of weeks in Charleston, uh, the biggest event really so far since the hiatus, you and 15 other stars of the WTA. Uh, I'm curious, are you most excited about getting back to competition or just really excited to see everybody again? Because it's, it's kind of been a while. Um, of course, yeah, see everybody. I really miss everyone on tour. I can't wait to see all my fans and reconnect with all of them. Um, but of course, I'm um, really excited to start going back on the court and competing again and doing what I do best because I really miss it and um, really looking forward to Charleston.
Here's a, a list of all the other players who are going to be part of the competition. The last two slam winners with you and Bianca Andreescu as well. Sophia, thank you for joining us. Thank you for giving us a tour of the kitchen and the birdcage and Papa. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in Charleston in a couple of weeks. Thank you. See you guys in Charleston. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Now, Canada is not the only American woman who loves playing in Australia, and she's not the only one to join the TC Live podcast this week either. Danielle Collins stopped by to chat with Chanda Rubin and Brett Haber about her fun experiences in Melbourne, the positive opportunities this hiatus from playing tennis has afforded her, and what she's looking to accomplish in Charleston when she returns to the court. All that and more with Virginia tennis alum Danielle Collins on the TC Live podcast right now. Very pleased to welcome American Danielle Collins back to TC Live. Danielle, great to see you. Hi. Uh, we did get to see you. Hi. Uh, we saw you a little bit at the UTR matches last weekend, but other than that, tell us how you've been getting through this whole hiatus uh, down in Florida. Yeah, I mean, it's some crazy times that we're living in, and um, I think it's been frustrating for all of us tennis players because we're so used to traveling and and constantly being on the road and doing cool things, and getting to experience so many unique, unique things as athletes, um, especially playing in front of fans. And so now it's just been so different just being at home and not being able to travel, not being able to play in front of fans. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of an adjustment for me, but I'm also enjoying getting to have some time at home. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things uh, for players is that, you know, you're so used to being on the road week in and week out and just the thought of not knowing when your next event was going to be, you know, has been tough for a lot of players, but what are some of the positives? Have there been some new things you've been able to do? I know at the end of the year, when we talked, you, you were working on a few injuries, a few things that were nagging, you know, has that helped you to kind of get fully back and, you know, how are you feeling in that sense? Yeah, um, I think it's given me some more time to kind of heal properly from the abdominal tear that happened back in Melbourne in January. But overall, I've been feeling pretty healthy overall. And so um, I would ideally like to be playing tournaments right now um, and making money. But um, unfortunately, that cannot happen at the moment. Um, I'm really looking forward for World Team Tennis to start up and for the event in Charleston to take place um, at the end of this month. So hopefully um, by August, you know, the WTA tournaments can start up again and we can go back to normal. Well, you were able to participate in the UTR matches over you know, the weekend, getting back on court, getting into some live match situations. How did, how did that go? How did you feel about your game? Uh, and how did that help in terms of going forward? Yeah, um, it had really been about four months since I had played a competitive match. Um, I've been practicing and training a lot at home, and I was happy to finally get out um, on the court and be able to be in that competitive match mode. Um, I think it was a little bit rusty and kind of shaking off some of the 
the uh, rust uh, on court, especially serving. But um, yeah, I was just really looking forward to uh, being out there and competing again and, and doing what I love. Um, I haven't been able to do that in months now. And it was so great that UTR came together and, and the tennis channel and Oracle and decided to to have this a uh, um, small event for for you know me, Allie, Amanda, and Isla. Um, we enjoyed every second of it. And it was unfortunate that we got rained out at the end, um, but we were also glad that we were able to actually get some competitive matches in. Well, the good news is that things are continuing to progress and there is a bigger event coming up in Charleston in a couple of weeks or so. What are you most looking forward to in that event? There's big names, be tougher competition, but it gives everybody an opportunity to come together and, and play and get some additional uh, matches under those live situations. What are you looking forward to most here? Yeah, I mean, I'm just such a competitor. I, I'm really looking forward to getting out there and competing again. and. Um, just being around more of the, the women that I compete against. Um, it was a little bit strange at the last event that, you know, it was me and only three other players. Um, so this event is a little bit larger, so it'll kind of feel more realistic, I think, to a tournament. And just being able to get on the road, get on, get a little road trip into Charleston, and, and yeah, just to feel normalcy again. <laughs> We're joined by Danielle Collins here on TC Live. Danielle, I know it's been about 18 months, but I'm guessing you still have some pretty vivid memories of that run you made at the Australian Open 2019. You beat three top 20 players en route to the semifinals, including then world number two, Angie Kerber. Did you have a sense at all when that tournament began that, yeah, I feel pretty good. I might be ready to make a run at one of these things. Yeah, uh, I think the year before I had made semis in, in Miami and, and had, had a good run at Indian Wells and played great tennis and beating top players. So um, I had the confidence knowing that I could have a good tournament. I just kind of needed some things to fall into place for me. And, and luckily I went out and, and performed my best. But yeah, I mean, people always say, oh, well, you didn't win a cop, you know, you didn't win any uh, Grand Slam matches before that. and. Um, really, I had only played, you know, maybe three or four Grand Slam matches before that because I turned pro when I was 22. So um, I'm relatively new to the tour, and I think it was a surprise for everybody, but I had had some good results the year before, and I was just um, playing out of my mind. So, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, I kind of knew going into it I had a good chance of, of doing well. Uh, yeah, you hadn't won any Slam matches before. Might, might as well win your first five all at the same tournament, which is what you did. Um, we showed a bunch of cutaways during those highlights of you, you know, fist pumping and doing your thing. Uh, people love watching your play. They love watching your on-court vibe. Some people describe it as fiery. Some people describe it as intense. How would you describe you on the court? Um, yeah, I think I'm competitive. I think um, this is what I love to do. I love to compete. and. I think people describe it in different ways, and it, it's tough as as a woman. Um, I think playing in, in a a sport that has been dominated by men for a long time, and I think um, yes, maybe sometimes it's hard for people to accept my demeanor on court and my feistiness. But um, I'm true to who I am, and I'm I'm true to what I'm doing, and I go out and I just try to be the best competitor that I can be. We love uh, everything about your uh, on-court demeanor. You be you, don't change anything. Uh, congrats on all the success. Stay safe, and we'll see you 
in Charleston, Danielle. All right, we'll see you there. Thank you. On Monday, we were delighted to be joined by American Tennis Mainstay Sam Query on Tennis Channel Live, where he catches everybody up on his life away from the tour, his new role as a father, and being a member of the ATP Player Council during such turbulent times. Along with Brett Haber and Paul Anacone, Query also discusses the realistic possibility of a U.S. Open taking place in 2020 in some shape or form. It's Sam Query on the TC Live podcast. Sam Query joins us. Sam, it is great to see you. Uh, thanks for checking in. We've seen you play a couple matches around Southern Cal last few weeks. How are you doing? How's the family doing? How are you getting through all this? Uh, we're good. You know, look, life's starting to get a little better. It's starting to become a little easier to leave the house. I can practice a little bit. But in the meantime, it's been fun to be home with my wife and our, we have a three-month-old son named Ford. And so that's been great to be with him every day. And, and Sam, also, it's nice to hear all the accolades uh, that Ford's doing really well. But tell us about Ruby. How's the dog doing? How's mm-hmm. the dog handling, uh, you know, quarantine with uh, your beautiful bride and the good, uh, good-looking good man Ford right there? <laughs> the, Ruby's doing well. She gets swatted away from the baby about 25 times <laughs> a day. But to make up for it, we're constantly walking her. I mean, every... We wake up, I take her on a walk. She gets three other walks during the day, then an evening walk, and then my mom might come over and walk her. So she's getting plenty of attention. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Good to hear. Good to hear. So you did get out to play, and you've been playing some of the matches and played in, in the home court advantage event. You've played in a lot of different things that are new, it's new beginnings, right? How has it, it felt, and what did it feel like playing the home court advantage on the clay courts? Uh, definitely, yeah. As you see in the photo there, I played that a couple weeks ago, and they had another... I guess it would be the home court advantage part two this past weekend at Santa Barbara. And it's been fun to play um, just some, some real matches. You know, we did a fast four format um, and to go out there and kind of just play against some other guys was was definitely fun. And it was great to kind of break up the monotony of just staying at home for the last four or five months. But on, on the flip side, I'm ready for some some real events to hopefully start in the next, um, you know, couple months. I'm looking forward to World Team Tennis. Hopefully the U.S. Open can happen. But in the meantime, uh, you know, we're going to see more and more little events like this pop up. Sam, I wanted to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about your role on the ATP Tour Player Council. You have a constituency that you have to communicate with and then get back to the ATP board. Uh, I'm wondering uh, sort of what your take is on on this chatter. We're hearing about a possible ATP WTA merger and, and sort of what the chatter is among the players that you've been talking to if they think it's a either A, a good idea, or B, realistic? I think most people think it's a good idea. It's kind of um, been talked about, I guess, since Andrea, our new uh, CEO of the ATP Tour, came into effect at the beginning of the year. And um, unfortunately, with the coronavirus, I don't know if that's making it easier or hard to merge things together. But, uh, you know, it from the little bit of chatter that it had for two or three months, it seemed like it was getting a lot of positive feedbacks and a lot of good could come from that. Um, as far as kind of, you know, giant TV deals and making making the sport really kind of one body rather than the multiple bodies that it has now. Of course, one of the events where you guys are already side-by-side side, uh, is the U.S. Open, which we are now hearing is more and more likely to happen. Obviously, no fans, but uh, the USTA announced some of the other conditions that they're thinking about installing for this year, everything from chartered flights to fewer lines people and ball kids, limited locker room access. As a player, based on what you've read, will you be comfortable going to the U.S. Open given the conditions they're describing? I would. I I mean, I'm probably maybe one of the few. I'd be comfortable getting on a flight tomorrow. I'd be comfortable if they had 
a full lines crew and a, a full 128 draw, but it looks like they're going above and beyond to make it safe for the players to make sure they uh, obey the guidelines that are set out. And so I'll 100% be be ready and be comfortable to play with, um, especially with the with the guidelines that they're kind of putting out right now. And there's still a lot to be determined, Sam. So in the meantime, you guys are having to find new ways to communicate. And obviously, in this day of social media, there's always Twitter and Facebook. Oh, look, there we go. There's Sam Query's Twitter. Wait wait a second. Sam, is it, is that really the last time? You, is that 2013? Is that the last tweet from Sam Query? Come on. Give I'm it up. Not, I'm not very, I don't, I don't really, I don't really tweet. I'm really active on Twitter. So that is, yeah, that's the last one, I guess. Okay, you an Instagram guy, or no? Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not that good at it. I don't post that much. I don't have that much. I don't have that many exciting things to share with the world. Uh, I think your agent John Tobias is going to call you right after this and say, "Sam, get very active. We want you out there. We want you very <laughs> visible." <laughs> See, when I do put up a post, though, it's a good post because it's only coming out That's every, right. every month. Or so. you, you know that when Sam posts on Twitter, the locusts are coming out for their every seven years. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I was thinking, Sam, you're, you're in your 30s now. You've been at this pro tennis thing for 15 years or, or so, traveling the world. I know you wouldn't have chosen to do it like this, but but in a way, is it a blessing in disguise for you to be able to spend some time at home to to really have some time to heal your body and get everything worked out and, and maybe start fresher than you've been in a while when this thing gets back to normal? Uh, no, I would rather, I mean, look, I, I, got, I don't know how many more years I can play. Let's call it four or five years. I don't want to miss out on a whole year right now. I wish we were still gone. I wish I was at the French Open right now. I wish this coronavirus never happened. I wish Ford and my wife were in Europe with me and I could just kind of keep the wheels going. And I, I, I feel fine right now, but I also felt fine um, earlier in the year. So I was trying uh, to put a positive spin on it, Sam. Thanks for working with me on that. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's no, all right. Sam, I was just wondering, though, you know, there's so many different challenges. Without a starting line, how are you trying to kind of periodize your training versus your tennis? How are you able to do that? That's been the toughest part. I've um, been hitting two, three times a week, kind of doing some things in the gym to just kind of maintain a base. And then I think when I really know when there's a starting time, let's say that's September 1st, I think if I can give myself six to eight weeks of training every day on the court, in the gym, I believe that I can be back to a kind of the, the level that I was at um, before this this hiatus, if you want to call it, started. So once the tour gives us that kind of, all right, this is when we're starting, I'm going to kind of work backwards from there and put together a plan. It's been a sad week in America with the death of George Floyd, an African-American who tragically lost his life in Minnesota at the hands of police brutality. Amidst the feelings of sadness, anger, and despair, there's been a great deal of unity and activism shown by many citizens in this country including some of the prominent members of the professional tennis world. On Thursday, Tennis Channel Live was joined by former colleague and longtime tennis standout James Blake to discuss his own experiences with racial profiling. He also shares his thoughts on Coco Goff and Francis Tiafo and the many others making their voices heard, along with what can be done to make this world a better, safer place for everyone. Here's James Blake, along with Chanda Rubin and Brett Haber on the TC Live podcast. 
longtime friend and colleague, James Blake, back to TC Live. JB, good to see you. Um, I, I want to ask the question that, that I, I posed a little bit to Chanda before the break, but I, I had intended for you, which is you know all too well about the, the privileges that come with being a, a sports star in this country. But when we see what happened to you, we're reminded that those privileges don't supersede the dangers of being black in America. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this uh, that incident, and especially the video, was a wake-up call for a lot of friends that saw me as just someone that was in sort of this bubble that we're in as uh, as athletes. As um, and you went a little far calling me a star, but um, but as athletes, um, we feel like we're isolated. We're in this bubble, and a lot of people have the ability, uh, you know, if you want to call it privilege or whatever, but from leaving that bubble, they still have. Um, sort of no cares or no worries. And as, as far as it's as I'm concerned and Chanda's concerned and, and our families, um, you step outside that bubble and you're just a black man. You're just a black woman. And for a lot of people, that equals suspect. Um, someone that's um, probably doing something wrong, especially if you're in uh, a nice car. You know, I, I did uh, well enough uh, on tour to, to sometimes be driving a nice car. And if you're in a nice car, a young African-American, uh, you're going to get pulled over a lot and you're seen as a suspect and people have just biases uh, that are saying, well, this kid's young, he's black, he's you know, probably a drug dealer or maybe he's an entertainer, maybe he's an athlete. And, um, it's it's oftentimes just, um, you know, just the, the, the prejudging is it can be dangerous. Well, James, your incident wasn't fatal, but you may have some people saying, well, you know, it's not a big deal. Everything ended up okay. But incidents like yours, they can have lasting effects and impacts, maybe not just on you, but on your family as well. Five years later, what are some of the ongoing struggles after surviving an attack like that? Well, I still think about it pretty often, probably more often than most people would uh, would assume. Um, and I try to be optimistic and I try to always think about how lucky I am. And it, it sort of takes me down a little bit of a rabbit hole sometimes, but I'm so lucky that I, I had the past that I had because I thought this was a fan. I thought this was someone running up to me because it's in New York during the US Open, someone running up to me. And if you see on the video, I have my hands down and I'm smiling. Um, and if I wasn't doing that, if this was someone that had a normal nine to five job and was getting run at by someone, you would think they're gonna either fight, they're gonna do one of two things. They're either gonna start swinging or they're gonna run. And I think how lucky I am that I didn't have that reaction because if I did, it could have been a fatal incident. It could have been something where this guy already decided, you know, there's going to be a skirmish. There's going to be some sort of um, physicality involved in this because he's uh, investigating a nonviolent criminal and I'm standing there with my hands down, not armed, and just looking at him and he's still going to tackle me. So if I had done anything to provoke him, I feel like this could have been so much worse. So I think how lucky I was there and how lucky I was that no family was with me, no friends that would have probably jumped on him. And I don't know what could have happened. I shudder to think what could happen to them with four other cops on the scene. And um, now, uh, today, what I think about is my, my kids haven't seen that video yet. So uh, I'm going to have to explain that to them before their friends in school see it and they tell them about it. So it's my wife and I have talked about it, uh, how we're going to explain that to our kids. And that's a decision that I have to that we have to make together and um, that a lot of people don't think about. A lot of parents, a lot of uh, my colleagues on tour don't have to think about how they're going to explain um, these kind of incidents to their kids. Well, you talk about kids, James, and we have Coco Goff, a 16-year-old who has been 
impressing us with her maturity, her poise on court. And now she's continuing to show that maturity off the court. Let's take a look at this video at a Black Lives Matter rally in her hometown. We need to take action. And yes, we're all here protesting, and I'm not of age to vote, but it's in your hands to vote for my future, for my brother's future, and for your future. So that's one way to make change. But we have to understand that this has been going on for years. This is not just about George Floyd. This is about Trayvon Martin. This is about Eric Garner. This is about Breonna Taylor. This is about stuff that's been happening. Tray I, I was eight years old when Trayvon Martin was killed. So why am I here at 16 still demanding change? Yes. And it breaks my heart. Because I'm fighting for the future for my brothers. I'm fighting for the future for my future kids. I'm fighting for the future for my future grandchildren. Yes. So we yes. must change now. And I promise to always use my platform to spread with the... Spread. Well, James, when you see Coco at 16 years old standing there having to make that speech, what goes through your mind? Well, first of all, um, she's one of the most impressive... 16 year olds I've ever seen, not one of, she's the most impressive 16 year old I've ever seen in terms of on the court is, is great. You know, that she's an incredible athlete, but uh, I've been able to do a couple of events with her and seeing her speak and hearing her, um, like the way she conducts herself is so unbelievable. And her parents should be very proud. She should be very proud of herself. I mean, that was such an eloquently stated point about that she was eight years old and she's still uh, screaming about this. But her first point, I think, is one of the most important, and, and I think we should all be screaming it, is that this protesting has made a difference. I do believe that the protesters have sped up the process of getting the officers charged, getting them convicted criminally. Um, and then the next step in being able to affect change is at the ballot box. Uh, for all, these, uh, all the people that are out protesting, I hope every one of them is registered to vote. I hope they're voting for people that actually um, can represent them and aren't representing the status quo. The status quo, as Coco was saying, ha has been that this is just swept under the rug, that we're still talking about this eight years later, really 20 years later, 30 years later, 40 years later, from seeing this happening over and over again. So let's find some people that won't benefit from just the status quo, from what has been happening to this world, what's been happening in police forces, what's been happening with the politicians that are just, uh, that are not making it safe for the Coco Goffs, her brother, her kids, her grandkids. Uh, we need people that are gonna represent uh, us in a better uh, way that's gonna be progressive and is gonna make us safe for many, many years to come. Well, James, Francis Tiafo is another dynamic young player who is using his platform and his voice to, to bring awareness, show support. He and his girlfriend, Ian Broomfield, have the Rackets Down Hands Up video. Take a look at that. Hi, guys. I hope everyone's doing well during this crazy time. I and I felt the need to reach out and express our feelings for what is and for what has been going on here in America. We wanted to do a small gesture to spread awareness about the unjust deaths of many African Americans here in this country. You know, this is definitely bigger than tennis and we all need to use our platforms to come together regardless of class, gender, race, ethnicity, or any other categories. Today, we put our rackets down and our hands up. Well, James, you are a part of this. Did Francis call you? What did you first think when he called you about this idea? And how does how do you feel when you see all of the players that were eventually able to get together and to pull this together? 
Well, uh, first, when he called me, I, I was so proud of him. I've worked with, with Francis a little bit, and um, I know you've been close to him as well, and he, he's such a great kid. Um, he looks so carefree because he's always smiling and he's having a good time, um, but he is extremely thoughtful. So I was proud that he got this many people together. And then as he put it together, and as you're watching it, he sent, me the, uh, he sent it to me initially, and I, I just... I was amazed at, at how many people um, are involved in tennis that are that are minorities, and and how great it is that this community has grown so much. Chanda, you and I have benefited from uh, from the Arthur Ashes, the Althea Gibsons, the Mal Washingtons, the people that have done this before us, and to see that there's that many um, involved is encouraging. And Francis, I told Francis, you know, it, it, it sometimes it just takes a little spark, a, a little something, and, and they called it just a small gesture. And sometimes that small gesture can have huge ripple effects. And and I hope theirs is, and it is such a positive message. Um, it's one of the things that, like right now, I feel like people are so divided that they're going to find a problem with almost everything that is said, almost everything that's done. This is a gesture that. I don't see anyone can have a problem with. I'm sure someone will find fault with it um, on social media or somewhere, but it, it's so simple that you know you put your hands up. So many of us have, have been in that situation where our hands have to be up when we've done nothing wrong. Um, so rackets down, hands up is a great message, and, and it will let people know that we're tennis players. And like I was saying earlier, we we feel isolated in the and we're in a bubble when we're in the tennis world. But when we're outside of that, we're just normal people. We put our rackets down. We're that African-American man or woman that has to put his hand, his or her hands up um, a lot of times for things that we did nothing wrong. Just a quick note before we go, uh, James is going to be part of a town hall that Chanda and Zena Garrison are doing on YouTube on Saturday with a bunch of other people. It's called Game, Set, and Chat, and uh, this topic will be part of the discussion. We hope that you'll join uh, all of these folks for that discussion. And, and James, let me just say, as we say so long, what... Uh, a neat opportunity. It is for us to be able to talk with someone like you in the sport of tennis that has this perspective. You know, we, we love you and uh, we uh, send you our, uh, our everything and say hi to Emily and the kids for us. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. I miss you guys. Some powerful, powerful stuff from James Blake. And we're very fortunate to have him on this week's show. That's it for the TC live podcast. And a reminder that you can find every episode at tennis.com slash podcast and the full archive of shows is available on all your podcast platforms. This weekend, the 2020 Reopen Tour on Tennis Channel continues with the Region of Valencia Tennis Challenge, a four-man exhibition in Spain headlined by Alex Diemenauer and Roberto Batista Agu. I'm Mitch Michaels, and this was the TC Live Podcast. Stay safe, listen more, and let love lead the way. We'll see you next week.